Hi there again. My name is the Reverend Father Matt Kovisk, and I'm the rector of St. Mary's Anglican Church in Verdun, as well as St. Mark's Anglican Church in Elkhorn. This day in the church calendar, we celebrate the Feast of Christ the King, and this feast always falls on the last Sunday of what we call Ordinary Time. And the focus of this feast day is, is of Christ as King of the Nations, and is actually known in some quarters as Reign of Christ Sunday. Now, when you think of kings and queens, what do you think of? Maybe it's just me, but when I think of kings and queens, I think of grand castles with beautiful vistas, such as castles in France, in England, and in Scotland. I think of grand courts with lots of nobility milling about. I think of one person ruling over all of that, the king or queen with their consort, who is truly in charge. Now, history tells us that kingdoms can be incredibly bloody things full of people jockeying for power. And of course, one would think that as the church, you know, we would be above the fray, seeing as we deal with the kingdom of God and not necessarily of things of this world. However, my friends, history shows that unfortunately this isn't the case. And one of my personal favorite stories of the times that the church has come up against the kingdoms of the world is the story of King Henry II of England versus Thomas Becket, the Archbishop of Canterbury. All of this happened in and around the 1100s. And frankly, it's a long story, too long to go into at this point. But suffice it to say that it's full of political intrigue and backstabbing. And actually, it ends with a murder in Canterbury Cathedral. Now, I imagine that when many of us think about kings and queens, we think about pomp, circumstance, and power. And one only has to look at any sort of royal function for proof of that. Think of any of the royal weddings that has happened in the past few years. And if you were watch one, there is more pomp, circumstance, and power flying around those events than one could shake a stick at. And it's easy for us to think that the kingdom of God is much like the kingdoms we've seen established both throughout history and down through to this day and age. After all, when Elizabeth II was crowned in 1952, she was presented with the Bible and was made supreme governor of the Church of England. However, and I think the Queen would agree with me when I say this, the United Kingdom is not the Kingdom of God. And it's this Kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about in the Temple, which we read in our Gospel reading for this morning, from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And as I talked about last week, in Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching in the Temple, and he knows he is about to die. Now, when we reach him, he's only got about 48 hours to live. And so Jesus is trying to drive home some final messages about the kingdom of God. And we've been reading these parables that he's teaching over the past three weeks. The first one in this larger arc reminds us about using the things of God, such as grace, faith, and mercy, to light the way that the bridegroom, Jesus, can recognize the bride, the church. The second parable in this larger arc reminds us that we are to use those God-given gifts of grace, mercy, and faith on others. And when we do so, those gifts are returned to us so that we may continue to do that work. And so we come to the third and the final parable about the kingdom of God, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this parable builds on the first two parables in Matthew 25. And in this specific parable, Jesus describes the second coming of the kingdom of God. And it can be frightening to us to hear about the separation between the goats and the sheep. We tend to recoil whenever we think of our own judgment, for nobody likes to be judged. 
However, to be perfectly frank with you, I think that we lose something when we focus just on that detail of judgment, especially when we put the passage into the context of the larger story. Now, throughout the Gospel, according to St. Matthew, we see lots of discussions about works and good deeds, usually phrased in questions that were meant to trip up Jesus. And at the heart of it, this conversation, this parable, is no different than the others we've seen in the Gospel of St. Matthew. If you read the story, again, Matthew 25, 31 to 46, you'll see that there's lots of that kind of talk in this passage, but it's framed in a different way. Again, Jesus is teaching in the last days before his death, and again, I imagine that he's teaching this like he has the other parables. In Matthew 25, he's teaching them with some sort of force or exasperation as his time on earth is drawing to a close. As he's teaching, he's building on what he said in previous parables in Matthew 25. You know that grace and mercy you've been given? That is to be spent on others. And you can do that by doing the things that are mentioned here. By feeding the hungry and the thirsty, by clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, taking care of the sick, and visiting those imprisoned. These are known in some church circles as the corporal works of mercy. And my friends, this idea, feeding the hungry and thirsty, clothing the naked, and all of this, this is what the kingdom of God will look like. A kingdom where each person has all they need to live into who, live into who they truly are, sons and daughters of the king. This is the kingdom we want to see ushered in when we talk about the second coming of Christ. Unlike many of the kingdoms that we've seen throughout history, the kingdom of God is about justice, peace, grace, and mercy. This is the point that Jesus is trying to drive home for those gathered around him. The kingdom of God, again, the kingdom of justice, peace, grace, and mercy, is so unlike the current Roman Empire that, the, that those gathered around Jesus would have been dealt with. A kingdom of none of those things of power, pomp, and circumstance. So, you might be asking me, Father Matt, what do I do with the fact that the kingdom of God is so very different from the kingdoms we've known throughout history? Well, you and I are citizens of the kingdom of God via our baptisms and via our faith. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, you and I are to help make known this kingdom here in this time and in this place. Again, by doing these things that I mentioned earlier in the sermon and that Jesus talks about in Matthew 25. By feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those imprisoned. By showing mercy. By showing grace. All of these things seem fairly simple. But they, they are incredibly difficult, especially when we do it to others who we don't either fully understand or fully like. It's incredibly easy for us to look around and be overwhelmed by the amount of poverty, by the amount of loneliness among other things that we see in the world. It's easy for us to look at all of that pain and just give up. 
However, the good news of this passage for us is that the kingdom of God will be realized fully someday and that the world will change. As citizens of the kingdom of God, you and I are a people of hope. And we truly do out, hold out hope that things will change, that the kingdoms of this world will pass away, and that the kingdom of God will be realized, and we will be a part of it. Our efforts may feel like just a drop in an ocean of bitterness, grief, and pain. However, in God's time, these drops create an ocean of restoration, and again in God's time, the world will be forever changed, and my friends, the kingdom of God will be fully realized. However, in the meantime, until that second coming, you and I are called to keep plodding along, spreading that grace, mercy, and love by doing the corporal works of mercy, by spreading all of these things that we have received to others and to help make the kingdom of God known to all the earth. Thanks be to God.